Welcome to The Tattooed Mind, a podcast where we explore the intersection of mental health, self-care, and the art of tattooing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories, insights, and inspiration from artists who have struggled and overcome obstacles in their life and career. My name is Mike Fisher Dubois. In this episode, I have the honor of talking with Wyatt Cecil as he talks about growing up in the church, spending time in jail, and finding small moments to keep track of his thoughts and improve himself. Hi guys, my name is Wyatt Cecil. I'm a tattoo artist. I've been doing this for about eight years. I own SP Studios, Spokane, Washington. And SP stands for Studiare Paretia, and it's a Latin phrase that means to be in constant pursuit of excellence in life, self, and craft. I've tattooed about eight years now and in 25 different cities as far north, south, east, and west as you can go in the country. I am now working on hitting the corners. So we're doing Florida in a couple months, and then I just got SoCal and New York, and then we've done the whole roundabout. I apprenticed in a small town in northern Idaho. It was a pretty traditional apprenticeship, definitely a lot of hard knocks type stuff. And we didn't really end on great terms. We haven't spoke since. And, you know, as far as going into that kind of stuff, I, I feel like there was a lot of things that, you know, I wish had gone differently. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a big believer that everybody is doing the best they can with the information that they have that they believe to be true, you know? So I feel like I've really kind of gotten a good roundabout conclusion on my side. I don't really know how that's going on his side, but you know, I, I feel good with where I am on it. So that, that took me a long time to kind of get past. Before I started tattooing, I was a salesman, actually. I was 18, 19 and just swinging for the fences, man. I did hard labor for a while. And yeah, after about a year of that, I decided this is not for me. I want to be in air conditioning. So I went and started doing sales and I did all the MLMs, man. Fucking if somebody messaged you with a message of like, oh, hey, you know, business opportunity, make millions. My 18 year old ass was like fucking sold, man. Like, let's do this. And so I did all the, you know, selling Cutco knives, home security systems, cell phones, all that kind of stuff. And then went and did some phone sales at a call center. And my brother called me one day and said that he needed a counter bitch at this, uh, this, this tattoo shop needed a counter bitch. And I took my break, left quit my job and just fucking swung for it. And I actually told him that I could run the business because that's what he needed was somebody to do what Nike's doing essentially. And like, you know, do all like the business side of it. And I told him I could, and I had no clue what I was doing. He found that out pretty quick. So we kind of just, you know, worked together and figured it out. And uh, so that was kind of how I got into it. I wasn't even supposed to be tattooing. The guy that mentored me was a big roided out angry ginger man. And I snuck some grapefruits in one night at like one in the morning and tattooed him. And I brought him in and I wasn't sure if he was going to beat me up or say good job. And he said good job and threw me to the wolves and just went ham for it. Uh, and then I kind of went through a process of wanting more of an art base and, you know, wanting to grow more on the art side of things. And so I ended up leaving and going to work with Jake Sifford over at Black Matter. He owns Electric Age now. And, and that was a cool experience. And that was where I met the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin Stroud. Kevin, if you're watching, I love you. And he really did more for me than I think anybody has in my career. He took me in under his wing and taught me how to draw, how to study, how to work. And, you know, just so much about life. And I don't think I'd be anywhere without him right now. 
So I was working at Black Matter and then going back and forth. Kevin and Jake co-owned Black Matter and there was a location two hours away and then one in town. So I was going back and forth between those two. And at that time in my life, I was just turning 21 and I, I had a really, really traumatic. Well, I mean, my, my childhood wasn't the best. Let's just say that, you know, and my high school experience was awful and, you know, just really, really not good for self-esteem and, you know, confidence and all that kind of stuff. So then, you know, I ne never really had a lot of friends. And then now I'm tattooing. I have a ton of money and everybody wants to be my friend, you know, and I just turned 21 going to the bars and I just went buck fucking wild, man. Fucking hanging out with, you know, just all the fucking cool kids as, you know, I would have put it back then and just really dove off the deep end. And that was where I kind of hit one of my major, you know, struggles throughout my career, which has been cocaine addiction and just went balls to the wall with that, man. That really had a strong hold on me for like four or five years. And then so I was tattooing in between Lewiston and Coeur d'Alene at the time. And then ended up Jake and Kevin had a split. So then I started working in Lewiston, which is that town that's about two hours away. And that was definitely far away from my client base though. So I ended up moving back up here and working for Lucky at Artful Dodger. That guy's amazing, man. He taught me so much. I met him at my first tattoo convention, which was an absolute madhouse. I'll go into that a little bit later. So I worked with Lucky for a while and got fired from there. I have a quick little disclaimer. I've been fired from so many tattoo shops, man. Holy shit. It, for a long time there, I was an absolute shithead, man. And Lucky was just the nicest dude. He gave me so many chances, man. And I was in a really abusive relationship, still having a really hard time with drugs and just drinking all the time. And uh, so I got fired from there and then went to work for where else did I go? Right after that, I think I went to Altered Society with Kenny and Desi. And that was my first time working at a collective. And that was really awesome and started kind of fucking up there. And the final straw in that job was when I got arrested in the parking lot for a warrant and then had cocaine on me and then went to jail. And they were like, all right, there you go. That's the that's the ticket. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I get it. Okay. <laughs> So then I got out the first time I've been to jail twice, got out the first time and I was on felony probation and I was really just kind of in this whole like fuck the system mentality, you know, so I went and was working out of the county, which wasn't allowed, but I was sneaking down to Lewiston, which is two hours away to work. And so I was driving back and forth two hours one way, like three or four times a week, coming back up here to drug test at like six in the morning and then driving back to like go tattoo or whatever, and then driving back up for rehab classes and then driving back down. And it was, that was a disaster. And then COVID hit and yeah, I think COVID hit. And then uh, I ended up playing pool full time for a while because, you know, we couldn't tattoo and uh, got really, really bad back into the drugs during that time. And then started coming out of that and worked um, at a shop in Hayden for a little bit and then ended up parting ways there and then went to jail again, which was the one that really kind of got me thinking. I went for five days the first time and then the second time was 30 days and I was like, okay, all right, maybe I don't want to do this, you know, <laughs> really kind of took that realization of what it really was, you know, five days, you can kind of 
bullshit your way through it. But 30 days really kind of put that in my head of like, wow, okay, this is not how I want to live my life. So when I got out that time, I moved in with my grandparents because I, that was one of the terms of my, to not go to prison and to get out on probation was that I had to stay with, you know, parental figure type thing. So I was living with my grandparents. I was on house arrest for six months. So didn't really do much. And then I started working again and working at a shop that I didn't really particularly care for. And I ended up getting a job at Living Skin with Getty Anderson. And that was that was really when things started to start looking up for me. And Getty Anderson's a phenomenal human, man. We Everybody at the shop, Cameron West, Tia, Gabby, Jeannie, they're all phenomenal humans. And so I really kind of, that, that was when my career really started going, you know, up. I've always had a really solid client base and I've always had a really good, you know, my art's always been good, but that was where really the professional, the professionalism and all that kind of started getting going and really kind of get into that, you know, next level. And me and him had a falling out, but we made up with that really quickly and we're really good friends now. It's actually my birthday tomorrow. So a lot of the crew from that shop is going to come out and for the party and stuff like that. So we're all great friends now, which has been really awesome. And uh, yeah, so then I opened up my own studio a year ago and man, swinging for the fences, dude, just doing anything and everything. So I actually, I'm working right now inside of a building that's a collaborative studio. So I have a drawing studio and a tattoo studio that are separate from the larger company, but it's called Mad Collab Studios and uh, Anthony and Morgan run it and they're phenomenal humans. It's a really cool space, man. There's also a pottery studio, special effects, recording studio. I got art gallery. Saranka is from Africa. He does watercolor in another studio over here. And uh, they do tons of events, fundraisers, all kinds of stuff here. So it's really nice kind of having this energy around. And uh, yeah, man, we're doing all kinds of stuff. We launched a clothing line. We got our second website up, spent three months on the first one and decided to trash it because it just wasn't really doing what we needed it to do. And since I started working with Getty, I did some guest spots before that. But so yeah, before that, I had been to Seattle, Chicago, Portland, Bremerton, Lewiston. But since then, man, uh, wow, I've tattooed in North Carolina, Dallas, San Antonio, just all over the place, man. It's been an absolute blast. And I'm doing a lot of conventions now. And uh, yeah, man, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. We got a Vimeo subscription kind of thing set up. So I'm going to start doing some more specific education and stuff for tattooers. I do some live streams right now where I answer a lot of questions and go in depth on things, but I'm going to take those and then kind of do more of a specific direct overview of those topics on the Vimeo page. And yeah, so that's kind of where we're at here. Obviously, you know, there's tons of gaps in there, but that's the overview, I guess. Well, I appreciate it, man. Sounds like you're a busy guy. I would like to take kind of just a step back you know, so many tattooers that I talk to both in my personal life and then now doing this podcast have very similar struggles with their drug and alcohol problems. Mm. It seems like that is a recurring theme for a lot of us. Would you mind right. just kind of talking about what was going through your head coming out of that like last phase of you said it was a cocaine problem, but you know, you, mm -hmm. you're in jail, you're deciding, man, I can't do this with my life. What are you feeling when you're going through that? 
You know, man, I think that that's one of those topics that's so hard to really go into because I don't think that, you know, well, I actually, I really can't speak to other people's experiences, but for me, I wasn't doing it, you know, as like a life choice as far as like, oh, this is fun. I want to be doing this. You know, it was never something that I was excited about. You know, I didn't have that wish to quit. Um, I think I, especially in my childhood, you know, man, one of the things that I've been trying to embrace now, you know, is, you know, that side of me that I'm ashamed of. And, you know, one of the things that I've been really kind of owning lately is the fact that, you know, when I was a kid, man, I, I really had no sense of, you know, do, doing things for the long term, you know, and I was, I had so much depression and like, you know, I wouldn't eat a lot, you know, there was times I'd go, you know, a week or two without showering, you know, not doing laundry, you know, like not washing my hair, not brushing my teeth, you know, and I just had no will to live genuinely. And I, I, I you know, joy has been something, you know, or fulfillment, contentment, you know, and something that really, you know, I have not experienced much of in my life. And I started doing drugs when I was about 15. I had my stepdad left when I was 13. And that was really traumatic. And then I found out that he wasn't my real dad because he had been around since I was six months old. And then he came back six months later and said, you know, hey, it was it was your mom. It wasn't you, yada, yada, yada. And then a year after that, I went in for my first surgery. And I said, you know, I love you. You know, I'll see you, you know, talk to you tomorrow. Call me when you wake up because he was living over in Seattle and I woke up and called him and he had blocked my number. I didn't hear from him for 10 years. And that was one of those things, you know, that I, I understand the whole concept of, you know, the technicalities of, you know, it wasn't me, it was him, yada, 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 you know, but like on a deeper level, like the, the, the rationality of it doesn't do anything to the fact of what it was and how it makes you feel. And so that was when I dove into drugs. And uh, man, dude, I went like 12 years without having a single sober day, you know, I was just smoking weed and drinking and then doing hallucinogens like nobody's fucking business. I've done enough acid to kill a horse. And uh, so then, you know, doing those, you know, substances, you know, kind of gave me a feeling of like, I wouldn't necessarily say being able to escape, but being able to feel something, you know, because because I never really had those positive emotions growing up. And so, you know, get, getting farther into, you know, tattooing and, you know, trying cocaine for the first time, it was like, oh man, you know, I, like, I have all these things that I want to do with my life. You know, I have all these ideas, you know, I, I, I've always had great ambitions, but those ambitions have caused me to feel like, you know, really, really depressed because now I know what I'm capable of and I know what I want to do and I'm not doing it. So, you know, the depression was just so much of like, man, you know, wasting potential. And, you know, every day it just got worse, you know, cause I was like, oh, I'm wasting potential, wasting potential, wasting potential. And then, you know, doing cocaine, I was like, oh my God, man, like I feel like I can do it. You know, like I, like I have the energy now, I, I have the motivation. I can actually get up and do these things. And it was, it was so amazing at first and it just blew my mind. And then what I realized, you know, now is that having Motivation and inspiration, you know, are two very different things of, you know, motivation is energy, you know, coffee, getting a good night's sleep, you know, that kind of thing, you know, or just like feeling hyped because, you know, you had a good day and inspiration is that greater purpose of like, you know, I am here to make a difference. I'm here to make a change. And that's what gets me out of bed now. You know, like I don't need, you know, the drugs because I, you know, have a greater purpose that I'm working towards. And, you know, even like saying that though, you know, like. 
I've had, you know, recent relapses, you know, like, I, like I'm, I'm not over here, you know, like, oh man, I'm just a fucking sober goose now, you know, like, like, no, man, I still struggle with alcohol. I still struggle with cocaine. Thankfully now, you know, I'm at like a mental maturity to where I can, you know, recognize, okay, hey, look, you know, this is where, this is what led up to this relapse. These are the triggers that I experienced, you know, all that, that rehab that I went through that I thought was fucking stupid, actually it makes a little bit of sense. And I'm going to use some of that now instead of, you know, you know, and so going through all those steps and then, you know, establishing where I kind of lost sight of my mission and then getting myself back on course, you know, and coming back stronger than ever, you know, and, you know, not feeling so much of that shame from it, you know, and just really growing past it and using that as a stepping stone to get to the next level, you know, but kind of getting out of that daily use, like you were talking about, you know, I'm going to jail for 30 days. I mean, you know, honestly, man, there there was no part of that that made me go like, oh, man, I don't want to do drugs anymore. You know, I see the light like, no, I just didn't want to fucking sit in jail. You know what I mean? Like, like, it wasn't like this big old like, oh, man, I, you know, I'm so much more, you know, like, I understand now drugs are bad. It was like, no, that just sucks more than fucking I'm willing to go through. You know what I mean? It, it really didn't have that, you know, positive effect of like, I wasn't rehabilitated. I was just fucking had a bigger hammer waiting to, you know, crush me if, if something happens. Wait, wait, wait. And, uh, can, can I interrupt you for a second? Are you trying to say that the penal system does not work and it's <laughs> not meant to rehabilitate people? You know, man, I feel like at this point, I'm happy that I went to jail. I'm happy that the penal system is there. And I feel like if it hadn't have done that to me, I probably would not be in the position that I am now. Which, so I am forever grateful for the penal system. Do I think <laughs> that it is done well? No. Do I think it's being done the right way? Absolutely fucking not. But regardless, I am beyond thankful for how it happened because it worked for me, just not in the way that it's intended, not in the way they thought they were helping me. And, and no, it's absolutely fucked up. I like what you're saying where you can be grateful for something so terrible that happened to you, you know, mm. even if you did it to yourself, like getting yourself in jail you, you know, that sucks going to jail for 30 days. You know, it's mm -hmm. absolutely terrible. It disrupts your entire life. It makes everything more difficult. But to be able to have the maturity of and the hindsight to be like, well, that really shitty thing changed my life for the better or it oh, gave absolutely. you the ability to change your life. You know, I, I, I feel like it's, it's one of those things of, you know, without adversity, you know, there, there is no growth, you know, it's like, if, if we didn't have, you know, it's, it's like, what, what good would a superhero movie be if everybody was just chilling and there was no supervillain, you know, he is nothing, you know, and, and it's like all, all the things that I accomplish and, you know, all the things that, you know, I grow past and like, you know, these high points in my life, if I didn't have those low points, they would be nothing, you know, they would not exist, you know, just like, you know, if I if I hold a certain perspective on like, you know, say, you know, politics, the other side of the of, you know, the argument is what gives me the ability to identify myself. You know, if, if the other side wasn't there, I wouldn't know who I was in that sense of, you know, that feeling because I don't even know what it is because there's nobody to oppose me. I don't even have to have the thought, you know, so it's like going through all those traumatic experiences, you know, gives me the opportunity to to have good experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. There's this whole concept of like, you have negative self-image and positive self-image and like you hear the phrase negative self-image and that makes you think like 
things that you think bad about yourself, but it actually mm-hmm. means things that you think you are not. So, right. You know, like knowing what you're not helps you define who you are. Uh, Nike actually threw out a question on a live on a live stream of like, you know, why do you want a guest spot? And I, I think like one of the big things that I hit there was, you know, I, I'm looking for things, you know, that I want to apply to my shop and I'm looking for things that I want to apply to my process. But at the same time, just as important, I'm looking for things that I don't want to do, you know, like, oh, you know, I want to do this, but I, I don't want to do that, you know, and it's kind of that same concept of like identifying it's just as important or like, you know, with friends, you know, or employees, you know, people that I bring into the business. It's like, man, I got a list of things I'm looking for, but the list of things that I don't want is much bigger, you know, and, and yeah, so having that negative is just as important as that positive, you know, as far as perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more then about what you do when you're feeling kind of just like overwhelmed by so much because you're a guy who does a just a fuck ton of stuff and, and that has to drive you a little insane sometimes or are you someone who actually like has to be busy all the time because otherwise you're stuck? <laughs> oh man. You know, it's, it's, it's so funny because, you know, in this Western society, if you're working hard, man, you're fine. Nobody's going to say shit. Nobody's going to bother you, you know, like, oh, you know, you might have this, that, but he's working hard. So it's okay. This is actually something I've been really been working on lately is not working as much. And, you know, cause, cause that work and that constant stress, which isn't even fucking real, you know what I mean? Like I have all these things that I'm freaking out about. Well, okay. Write them down. You know, and I have a prioritization system that I use of one through four. And Winston Churchill came up with it during World War World War II to prioritize things. And it's one, two, three, four. You know, one is urgent and uh, applicable, like to your mission. Twos are urgent and non-applicable. Threes are non-urgent, but, you know, relevant to your mission. And then fours are nothing. So, you know, just big list. And then... How many ones do I have? Okay, do those. How many twos do I have? Okay, do those. And you know, a lot of times there's a lot of fours on there. A lot of the shit that I'm freaking out about is not relevant to what I'm doing and it's not urgent. So why the fuck is it even on my list? You know, and then, you know, writing them all down and like getting them on paper and then realizing that like, okay, well, I can take care of these things pretty easily, you know? And um, yeah, I, I think that stress is... Um, the stress and the working so much is just a victim mentality that I have to be careful of falling into so that, you know, I can not keep up with my friends. You know, I can slack on, you know, developing my personal self. You know, I can slack on, you know, family events, you know, and keeping up with my loved ones. I can slack on my spirituality. I can slack on all these things, you know, that I don't want to address. and I don't want to put the work in for because I'm working hard. I I have definitely upset some people in the past by going after hustle culture because I am a, <laughs> a huge believer that the most important thing you can do for yourself is like take an hour or two off every day and just not do anything. Read a book or sit sit and play a fucking video game. You know, like there those things that like that are actually really, really good for you. You know, like if you think about like relaxing and how important it is to human culture it's written into the old testament of the bible that jewish people could not work for an entire day every week that was like a foundational part of their religion was you had Mm -hmm. to take a day off work once a week and 
I think we've lost that as a society now, because like you said, everybody's like, oh, it's okay. He was working, but now it's like, you have to work all the time. I, I don't necessarily think the hustle culture is bad. I think it's misdirected and I think it's misguided, you know? And like, I, I take everything in my life fucking serious as shit, man. Like if I am relaxing, I am ferociously, aggressively, you, you know, I am fucking relaxing. You know what I mean? And and it, and it's it still is relaxing to me, you know. But like, it's it's basically kind of what I'm getting at is it's not it's not a you know oh you know it's just relaxing. Like no, this is fucking serious shit right now. I am relaxing. I want to make sure everything is you know as relaxing as possible. I want to get all my favorite you know, movies. I want to get the best lighting. I want to get the best space. I want to be comfy. I want my favorite clothes on. You know, I read this book called the little book of Hugo. Um, and it's, it's about the Danish art of coziness and those poor bastards over there, man, it is raining. It's dark. It's muddy. It's slushy. It is just not a fucking, like you walk outside and like fucking in Sweden, you're depressed dog. Like it's not pretty, you know? And they've always been, They've never, they've always been pushed around all the wars over there, you know, like they, they, they don't really have a lot of things to be happy about. And, but they have become the happiest country in the world because they focus on Hugo, which is, you know, coziness, you know, family time, getting close with, you know, your friends and cuddling up and, you know, making dinner and having, you know, great nights, you know. So I like, after reading that, you know, like it's actually something that I fell off of because I have fallen into that, oh, I work too much kind of mentality, but like, you know, Taking time to like have some candlelight, make some tea, you know, make some good food, settle down with a good book, you know, go get like some pants that are super fucking comfy, you know, and like really take that time for yourself. And uh, I think I kind of went off on a, on a thing. That I don't really know where we were. You're great. <laughs> no, I, I super, super agree with all of that. Like I, I set up a schedule for my, re like I have a meditation schedule and I have a relaxation schedule and that is just as important as my work schedule. Like yeah. every day they follow in the same pattern because I have to get my 10 minutes in the morning and then I have a certain time of night. It doesn't matter what I'm in the middle of. Everything has to get set down because, you know, I have to take care of, you know, having a family and Right. making those connections with people. I have to make sure I'm talking to friends because I won't a, a lot of the time. I'll get wrapped up and I'll be nose deep in my iPad or reading like the newspaper because for whatever fucking reason, I decide that it's important. And, <laughs> you know, like you just forget about these other things in our lives that actually, you know, need our attention. And it sounds right. like you don't. You're trying to you know, be really conscious of spending your time and attention on all these different areas. So, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things of like, I don't know. I, one thing that I think is so important with these topics, you know, is I've, I've always been really into personal development and spirituality and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm really knowledgeable on it. And so I have a lot of these, you know, techniques and ways of approaching things that, you know, are really, really solid, you know, ways to, you know, make, you know, progress in these areas of life. I don't do them all the time. You know what so I mean? So that's what I, I was like... going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, especially like when I'm talking with friends, you know, or kind of like, you know, somebody's asking me to kind of like, you know, hey, I'm having this issue, you know, like I always take time to step back and be like, by the way, that's how, you know, that's a good way to approach that problem and get towards a solution. But I don't do it. Because I can really sound like, you know, this guy that's just living this amazing life. And I am. I love my life, you know, but, 
you know, these tools, you know, there's a million of them. Excellent. Okay. But yeah, so like, I feel like friends, you know, I never really, to get back on, on topic here, as far as like staying, you know, in my social health and all that kind of stuff, I never had a strong friend group by any means, all the way from childhood through high school. I was raised by a pastor and a missionary, and I spent my first four years in Salt Lake City, Utah, and everybody's like, oh, Mormons. And I'm like, dog, that's half of Salt Lake City. The other half is there, there ain't a fucking Bible in sight. You know what I mean? Like that shit is gnarly. And so like I wasn't allowed to fucking, you know, I have very specific hours that I could even go outside the house, you know, let alone fucking you ain't leaving that yard. You know, it was like cops in the fucking front yard, you know, every two or three days. And uh, I was homeschooled there. And my dad being a pastor, you know, church was the only time that I would get any sort of socialization. And, but, you know, him being the pastor, I was in the adult service. I wasn't in Sunday school, you know, and, and we, he decided that we were going to be missionaries, you know, and just uprooted the family and took us to Europe. So then we were living in France, Germany, Switzerland, and we were moving every three to six months. So I never got to learn a specific language. None of the kids spoke English. I was homeschooled. All the adults spoke English, you know, so my first nine years, I had almost no interaction with children. And then we moved to New York, Missouri, Oklahoma, California. And then my first interaction with kids my age, I was 11 years old. I, I am like the most fucking like straight edge fucking Christian boy, right? Like no bad influence whatsoever. And we moved right outside of LA and Pismo Beach. And then they threw me in the public school system. So uh, fucking like culture a fish to shock. water. Yeah. 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 Popped right in. Yep. And, uh, you know, I was like basically an adult. I've been interacting with adults for, you know, my entire life. And then now I'm like, you know, giant public school in California and it just did not go well. And so then we moved up to North Idaho and then I got put in the public school systems up here. And uh, I just didn't know how to interact with people, you know, my age, like that just wasn't a thing. And so I never got a strong friend group. I never had any sort of like, you know, best friend type stuff. Like I, I just, and you know, I, I mean, I had friends here and there, but you know, I was always like the secondary friend, you know what I mean? Like they, you know, you know, some people wouldn't care if I ate lunch with them, but I was never invited out to the weekend stuff, you know? And so I kind of developed, you know, and then I had my dad leave, you know, so you know, I have this severe fear of abandonment. I have no social skills unless it's like, you know, with people that are 40. And then, you know, I, I never learned how to build friendships. So the friendships that I did build as I, you know, became an adult, I never really fostered. I never really cared for. Um, I didn't know how. And then, you know, I've always have that fear, you know, even to this day, you know, every day, you know, of like, what if, you know, you know, anybody could just be gone. You know, that I could wake up tomorrow and they have completely exited themselves from my life. And, you know, I know that that's not the case. And if it does happen, well, fuck it. But you know what? I like this is a part of my life that I need to to foster. And so I've developed, you know, some really strong friendships now. And, you know, I, I think for the first time in my life. I, I can I can sit down and know that I have friends, you know, that care about me, you know, that I am a primary friend to, you know, like, it's not like, you know, I'm just a, you know, a side friend, like, no, these are my friends. And I know 
that I can call them and they're going to be there. And I know that, you know, I can depend on them and that they're not going anywhere. And, you know, that fear of that abandonment is always there, you know, but like I've developed enough to where I know that that is just, that's just a thought, you know, that's just, you know, a fear, you know, and it, and it doesn't really affect me in those relationships. And I think, you know, learning that, you know, because for a long time there, there was people that were investing in me, you know, as a friend and, you know, putting a lot of work in, you know, to be my, my friend and I wasn't taking it, you know, I had so much shame and, you know, the, the shadow side of me was so ashamed of itself, you know, that I had this whole idea of like, if they find out who I really am, you know, they're not going to want to be my friend. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, you're talking about this just like brings up thoughts in my head. There's so many people in the tattoo industry that like you, myself too, like we leave a shop, it's often like what we thought was fine terms, all of a sudden, like we tell them we're leaving and it turns into bad terms and drama. And, you know, we don't talk to any of our coworkers anymore. And we don't talk to these bosses who are like super important people in our lives for the, mm -hmm. you know, months or years that we worked with them. I wonder how many of us are actually dealing with a lot of these abandonment issues that you're talking about, you know, the, these feelings of being alone. And if that's something that maybe we as a culture in tattooing really need to try and break and do do the stuff you're doing where it's like, you know, making sure like the people you, that you work with know that they're important to you and that, you know, it's not just because they work for you. You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily have like a question with that. It's just like, I feel like most tattooers, like it's a weird industry, you know, like we're all a little fucking odd and we all have a little bit of like traumatic past. And, you know, most of us, like, I don't think I would for crap, man, the amount of people I've met that like had a good apprenticeship, like, you know, or at Zero. least, you know, are on good terms. <laughs> So I, I feel like we're set off the bat, you know, with this fear of that abandonment type thing. And then, you know, there there's a very dog eat dog world type, you know, vibe with, you know, tattoos and not so much anymore, you know, but like, man, if if somebody was tattooing in the 90s and they own a shop, you know, like I feel like so many of them are growing now, but there's so many of them left still that are still stuck in that 90s, early 2000s mentality. You know, and it, it it was very dog eat fucking dog, you know, and it still is in some areas, but we're kind of growing past that. So I think we'll see a lot of, you know, healthier tattooers, you know, mentally and emotionally, you know, in the next 20 years. Um, I, I fully agree with that. And I think you can already see it now. Like the last shop I worked at had a bunch of people who were like right around that five year mark. And just to see the difference in how they were brought into things than I was at, you know, 13 years was mm -hmm. just, it was like night and day. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, absolutely. We're going to start to see more normal people who are working in the industry. So, I mean, maybe like shit like this won't even be necessary at a certain point, but. Oh, dude, this will always be necessary, man. I mean, even like, you know, the problem is, is that like fucking it's so easy to play that victim of like, oh, you know, well, they, you know, had, you know, this and that, you know, when in reality, man, if you get to know that person, they, they probably had got... some shit that you're really glad you didn't have to go through, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of those things that I find more true as I learn about people, even the people you wouldn't expect to have like some 
terrible story end up then telling you something you're just like i wish i hadn't heard that you know and another thing that i notice in those stories and often when i'm talking with tattooers because tattooers typically are pretty well off we often seem like we forget some of these lessons of our past and i'm really curious about how that works you know it seems like they're becomes like a a set time when all of a sudden you're like well i'm successful now so all that other shit like isn't something that happens and isn't something that matters so do you deal with that i mean you're you're a successful guy you have your own studio you're a busy tattooer you're known well enough you you have you know clients that keep coming to you and send new people to you do you find yourself ever you know falling into that comfort and forgetting that there are other people that are still struggling or do you try and remain empathetic to them? I have 160 pages in this journal. And when I learn lessons, I write them down, you know, and, and I go back through and read my journal occasionally, you know, and like, remember the lessons that I've learned, you know, and and go through things. And I think, you know, having a mission and a purpose and a vision for your life and what you want to do, you know, on this world, you know, having something that's bigger than you, I think really helps keep those lessons in perspective, you know, of like, hey, you know, like, this is what I'm trying to accomplish in this life. This is what, you know, I want to give to the world. I think we're more likely to, to be conscious of the lessons that we've learned when we have a greater purpose, as opposed to like, you know, if we're just kind of fumbling around and focusing on, you know, more money, bigger shop, more notoriety, you know, like, why would you even Yeah, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter, you know, and having those reminders is such a good thing. Like the fact that you write them down, that it's something for you to be able to look back on. Like, this is something I decided was part of who I am. So I need to look back at this. That goes Mm -hmm. back to those earlier, you know, I was talking about like negative character traits and positive character traits. That's a positive character trait. Like it's not a, you're saying this is me, not this isn't Mm. me. Well, and that's such an important thing to know who you are. Right. You know, and again, on that addressing, you know, that shadow side of me, you know, I didn't do this for a long time. You know, I've only been this journal I've actually kept for a whole year. And this is the first time I've ever done that. And, you know, I've always preached about journaling, you know, and I was preaching about journaling because I wasn't journaling and I knew that I was supposed to be doing it. And I was putting on this facade that I was a journaler when I wasn't, you know, to hide that, you know side of me that I didn't want people to see. So like, you know, just out and about for the world, like I did not do this for like 25 years of my life. And then once I started doing it, I did it for, you know, a few days and then fell off and, you know, stopped doing it. And then I felt shame for not doing it. So I didn't do it for longer and kept telling people to journal because I wanted to kind of hide that part of myself. And still to this day, I go, you know, a week or two without journaling, you know, like that's like something that I still do all the time, you know? And It's funny, they actually say in history, you can tell when somebody was going through a depressive point, you know, when you're researching somebody from the past when they don't have journal entries. Okay. Um, I've never heard that before, but it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I've really kind of gotten over that shame of it, of like, you know, if I don't journal for a few days, it, it's not a big fucking deal. Yeah. And then because I don't have that pressure on it, 
well, I can start doing it this week, you know? And, but at the same time, you know, like I'm over here, you know, touting journaling, but you know, it's not something that I do every day. You know, I try to, but I don't, you know, and like, so I, I think, I think that's just another one of those times where I just want to make sure that I'm bringing it back to that reality of, Hey, although I think this is a really good idea. And although I'm preaching this now in this place right now, this is not something that I'm a, you know, fucking adamant fucking doer of, you know, like yeah. I am now, I feel like I'm pretty adamant about it, but I still fall off every day, you know? So I'm not over here like, like oh, I journal every fucking day. You guys should too. Like, no, you know, but it is yeah. something that helps a lot. So I was a avid journaler for like a solid year and a half. And I still think of myself as a journaler. I would guarantee if I went and looked at my journal, my most recent entry is probably from over a year ago now. So yeah, totally. Like you fall out of these habits and the fact that you're saying just don't put too much pressure on them and they're a lot easier to just pick back up again later. Because I think that's a problem I personally have. I'll get a really good habit. I'll get it rolling really strong, whether it's journaling or going to the gym or meditating or yoga. And then after about six months, it stops being fun to do and mm -hmm. it starts feeling like a chore. And I'm just like, well, I have to do it. And then I'm like, well, I'll do it in like 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes later, <laughs> never comes, you know? Right, right. Real big question I try to ask people is if you have any advice for somebody else who's out there, whether it's someone who is finding themselves getting lost, you know, taking too many drugs, they just got out of jail, they just can't seem to like find friendship, they can't seem to find anything that they're excited about doing, you know, what would you tell these people? You know, I feel like there's so many you know things that people can listen to as far as you know you've got this you know positive motivation you know like oh you know like everything's gonna be okay and if if that's what somebody is looking for i'm not your guy honestly i it's it's one of those things that i feel like the the positivity thing is almost just so overplayed and honestly it's I would say having that personal accountability for your choices of, hey, nobody made me do this. You know, there is no, like, I make every single fucking choice that I make, man. And, you know, if I, like, for instance, I have a hard time, you know, getting my drawings done. I have a hard time with a lot of things. And you know what? It's not because I'm too busy. It's not because I don't have the time. It's because I chose to not make the time to do this drawing. You know, I got into drugs, not because somebody offered it to me, not because I was young and naive, not because of any of these things, because I chose to do it, you know, and, and getting to that moment of just personal fucking accountability, you know, I feel like is the first step in everything, you know, of like, I am, if, if I look at a problem and I have anything to say about it other than I chose this, then I am giving my power away. I have no ability to do anything about that because it is an exterior thing that is controlling the situation. So it's depressing at first, but really getting to that self-accountability of I make every single choice that I make. I am in this position because I chose to be. I have created this. I have brought all these things into my life. And if I want to change them, I need to go online. I need to go to the bookstore. I need to go somewhere and get a resource to learn a tool 
to change that behavior. I'm going to take that information and I'm going to apply it to my life. And I'm going to try it for a while. And you know what? If it doesn't work, I'll go somewhere else and I'll try another one, you know? And like knowing that nothing's going to work fully, you know, and I need to know the things that aren't going to work for me. So I got to try all seven of these things. And you know what? They're probably not going to work. And I expect that because now I know those things don't work and I can try these other things. But if I never do that, I'm going to spend my entire life going, oh, that probably won't work. I'm not looking for the success. I'm looking for new problems. I want to say, hey, look, a month ago I was dealing with this, but now I'm dealing with this. That's the exciting part. That's what makes me fucking stoked. I don't care about the success. That's one little product of a bunch of hard work, you know, focusing on loving the process. I love the hard work to get here, you know, and that's another way to not forget about those lessons that we've learned over time, you know, of like once you get that result going, oh, I'm not celebrating this result. I'm not stoked about, you know, this accomplishment that I have. I'm celebrating the process that got me here. I got kind of fired up there. Whew. Real quick, I have realized that appreciation and gratitude is, you know, really, really important. So I want to thank MadClap Studios for providing me with some of this equipment and letting me do this in their space because my studio is just a little not ideal for it. So Morgan Anthony, thank you so much. I love you guys. Zeke for getting us all set up with the recording software and stuff. Dude, I had no clue how to do any of this. I had this little dinky mic and then Anthony and Zeke were like, dude, we'll get you set up. And then they'd set up this entire fucking like thing. And I am so thankful. And you, man, for allowing me to be on your podcast, giving me an opportunity to, you know, say these things, you know, and, you know, like, you know, the, the whole impact, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter how big it is. If one person hears this, that actually, you know, get something from this, you know, that that's, you know, a fucking, that's a big win.